no more gloom. That's how Isaiah 9 starts. I think that's what you've just heard illustrated in a beautiful and compelling way in Olive's story. Where the light of Jesus breaks in, gloom, shadows, darkness, heartache begin to dissipate. They're, they're scattered. And as we come to the Advent season, what we're rehearsing together is this, that in Jesus' arrival, there was an inbreaking of light and hope and healing and the places of loss and heartache and darkness. And so we look back in the Advent season and we rehearse and celebrate that Jesus spells the end of gloom and we as his people who have seen the breaking in and the birth of Jesus and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we stand on tiptoe with anticipation in Advent season waiting still for the consummation of what he has accomplished. That he is coming again. And the Advent season is about the faithful waiting and rehearsing that in Jesus there is no more gloom. We're really excited about stepping into this season of Advent together, of leaning in with anticipation on tiptoe saying, Jesus, we believe this to be true of you and with expectation and anticipation we're looking forward to when you come again and we're praying that your kingdom would be coming in greater ways in our midst even here. We're really excited about leaning in with generosity and open hands to see the light of Jesus break into many stories through our partnership with Compassion. So we give every dollar away in the month of December to, to partner with them, even as we together are rehearsing what is unfolding in Isaiah chapter nine, the introduction of the Messiah through four different titles that you heard in Isaiah nine and verse six. Did you hear that? There's a grounds clause at the beginning of that verse, in verse six, it says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Chapter nine is shrouded in darkness. There is thick darkness and gloom, but the arrival of this Messiah that has these names spells the dispelling of that darkness. And so what we're going to do is we're gonna take the four weeks of Advent and zoom in on each of those names and ask how is it that a Messiah with this name dispels the gloom and the darkness of our story and our world. And so this morning we start with wonderful counselor. What does it mean that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and how is it that by, by showing up in our stories as the wonderful counselor, he dispels the darkness of confusion and of chaos? This is what we'll explore this morning. So we're, we're gonna do this in two ways. We're going to look at some context around Isaiah 9 and we're gonna ask the question, what is the shadow of confusion? What was it in Isaiah 9 And what is it for us, the the gloom and the shadow of living in places and ways where we don't know the right next step, where things are confusing and hard and maybe, just maybe, it feels like God is hiding his face. We're gonna explore what is the gloom of confusion and then we're gonna ask what does it mean that the wonderful counselor dispels that confusion for us? Okay, the gloom of shadowy confusion. 
The verses that lead up to Isaiah 9, this beautiful and somewhat uh, familiar passage that was just read over us, the, the, the lead up to it is in chapter 8. And I want us to look in chapter 8, verses 16 through 22, to feel the nature of the darkness and the way that it is deeply related to confusion and to chaos. And what we're going to see in Isaiah 8 is that when we are confronted with confusion and chaos, when we're confronted with a hidden God, we are tempted to take things into our own hands, but this does not alleviate confusion. It exasperates it. When we feel like God is hidden and we say, well, I'll take care of it by myself, it doesn't cause the confusion to dissipate. It just thickens, gets deeper and harder. Let me see if I can show that to you in the context. Isaiah 8, verses 16 and following, it says this. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. This is Isaiah speaking, and what he's saying is that me and my household, we are waiting for the Lord. We're directing our gaze to the testimony of God, but right now it feels like he's hiding his face. And then he describes what is happening in the rest of the nation. He says, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Isaiah says, listen, we should be seeking God, but in the confusion, you're seeking everything but God. And he says, for people who do that, the sun is never gonna rise. There is no dawn coming. The darkness is just going to get thicker. Verse 21, they're gonna pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they're gonna be enraged and they're gonna speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upwards. And then they're gonna to look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah is speaking to a people that has an evil Assyrian horde breathing down their necks. It's the judgment of God because they have quit listening to him. And he's saying, me and my family, we are going to direct our attention to the testimonies and we're going to wait for God. He said, will you do the same? He says, because if you don't, if you just try to fix this by your own might, the darkness is going to get deeper and darker. Did you hear it? They're looking to mediums and necromancers and to the earth. They're trying to manage everything. And as a result, it's just getting harder. And then it says they contemptuously speak against the king and their God. It's this idea that where someone's trying to manage everything by their own might, disregarding God, and things get worse, and then they start cursing everybody, their leaders and God himself saying, this is all your fault, not taking responsibility for what's going on. You see, for these people, when confronted with a hidden God, they're tempted to manage everything by their own might, and it doesn't make things better, it makes things worse. Now, we don't have Assyrian hordes breathing down our neck, but we're all navigating the shadowlands. And what I find is that my heart is not so different than the Israelites that start to scramble for a word from everywhere except for the testimonies in the presence of God. I've sat with friends that are 
struggling with and wrestling through, praying about the loneliness of their ongoing singleness and saying, I'm praying and I'm asking God to meet me to answer this specific prayer and it feels like his face is hidden. And I've sat with friends that have said, and I've struggled at moments just wanting to manage it by my own might. And so I rush in and I say, you know what? I've waited for God and I've prayed and it just feels like he's hiding his face. I'm going to fix this loneliness problem by my own might. And then what I've heard time and again and I've sat and worked through and prayed with is that it actually makes it harder. It makes it worse. Or sitting with friends that looking for a career change, sitting with a friend recently and said, I've been wanting this new career opportunity and I've continued to strive and work and try to honor God, but everyone else is playing this game, jockeying for position and putting themselves forward and I refuse to participate in the politics, but I keep getting passed over. Where is God in that? It feels like he's hiding his face and it feels like if I'm ever going to get what I believe that I deserve or by believe what's out in front of me, I'm just gonna have to manage it by my own might. I'm gonna have to step in and play the game and do the thing even though it offends my convictions before God. Do you feel that? More pointedly, even this morning as we're striking up a partnership with Compassion, I'll let you in on a little tension in my heart. Over the last year, you know we've had a a lot of difficulty with our facilities. God has provided and we're not homeless. We're just couch surfing, quite literally. (laughs) Um, He's providing for us, he's tending to us. But we still don't have a long-term solution and the clock is ticking. And one of the things I've wrestled with is that from early on we made a commitment in prayer and in the spirit that I think God has honored and blessed in profound ways. We were gonna strive towards giving 50 cents of every dollar away, including every dollar in the month of December. Now when your back is against the wall, needing facility solutions and city center, that's quite expensive. You start rethinking your convictions. (laughs) You go, if we were just to hit pause on all that and take care of ourselves, we could come up with some real quick and easy solutions. And all of a sudden in shadow lands, what I have felt in my own soul is a temptation to renegotiate convictions and commitments made before God in prayer with the community and start going, you know what, there's probably an easier path. I could manage this by my own might. And into that space, I just want to invite us to be the sorts of people that would recognize that trying to manage things by our own might in our own hands oftentimes exasperates the shadowlands. It doesn't dissipate them. You see, there are so many situations in life where we just don't know what the right next step is. Do you feel it? Maybe it's not your singleness or your job or facility decision, but we all have thousands of tough decisions that unfold in shadowlands and we go, how do I navigate this territory in such darkness? I have a good word for you this morning, that in the coming of the Messiah, we have a wonderful counselor. And I wanna tell you briefly four ways that he is a wonderful counselor, that he will guide you and me and us through every shadow land that we interact with because he is this sort of wonderful counselor. In Isaiah 11, just after this chapter, there's a few verses that explain the wisdom of the Messiah. When we think about wonderful counselor, the word for wonderful literally means miraculous. Every time it's used in the book of Isaiah, God is doing something miraculous in in 
otherworldly. But here the word is used in conjunction with counselor. What it means is miraculous wisdom is available in the coming Messiah. The sort of wisdom that causes all of the confusion to dissipate. He shines a light into the shadow land so that we can navigate. And he does so in four ways and we see it in Isaiah 11 as Isaiah describes the wisdom of the Messiah. Very quickly, let me tell you these four things. The first is this. His wisdom is miraculous because it is spirit-fueled. It's otherworldly. It's not fleshly like every other wisdom we interact with. Look at Isaiah 11 with me in verse one and two. It says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit. This is the line of David that has been chopped down in all of the devastation of Israel, but there's going to be a new shoot, new life from the line of David. And it says this, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Do you think he's trying to make a point? He says spirit over and over and over again because the wisdom and knowledge and counsel and understanding of this one is different. It's from outside of the world. It shines in a way that no other wisdom will. The second thing is that it's a wraparound wisdom. Did you see all of the different words used in verses one and two for wisdom? He has wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, and knowledge. Each of those words is like Isaiah has taken out his thesaurus, his Hebrew thesaurus, and he's flipping through on like knowledge and wisdom and going, I'm just gonna help us understand that the Messiah comes with all of these. What I've realized is that every counselor in my life has holes in their game, you know what I mean? It's true for everyone who speaks into your life. I've got one guy that is like a risk taker. He's really wise and faithful, but he's a risk taker, and so he's always the one saying to me like, go for it, go big, God's with you, you can do this. I've also got a really conservative counselor that's always like, well, have we thought through this? Let's just hold on. You know, we, we've all got these counselors that lean one direction or another. And the truth is that the danger for me is that I often seek out the one that I know what they're gonna say and that's kind of what I wanna hear right now. I'm like, I'm really thinking how to step out and do this thing, so I'm gonna go to the risk taker one and he's like, you gotta do it. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. The deal with Jesus is that he comes with all of it. He has all the facts, he applies them perfectly, he has perfect discernment, he sees all of the blind spots. And he speaks in a way, he often stings us where everyone else is praising us. Because he sees what's actually happening in the heart under the surface and what he speaks to us through his word and by his spirit often stings in the place where everybody's praising. Or he encourages us in the places that have been missed by everyone else. His wisdom is a wraparound wisdom. There are no holes in his game. He comes with exactly what we need and often what we get from no one else. The Psalms say that the word of God is like silver that has been, that has been tested by fire seven different times. It's been purified and it's perfect. His word is unlike anyone else's. It's a wraparound wisdom. You see, it's spirit-fueled, it's wraparound, it's ethically pure. Look at verses three through five with me. It says, <clears throat> this Messiah, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he's gonna judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. I listened to a really intriguing podcast this week. It was an interview with Sam Altman, 
the CEO of OpenAI. Maybe you've seen in the headlines, there's been some drama there. He was like not the CEO for a minute and then he was again. Because of ChatGPT and its quick iterative growth and there's, there's several more coming on the horizon and the question is, if we're going to create superhuman intelligence, who gets to set the rails for it? And the reason Altman was ousted and then put back in is everybody's churning about who gets to call balls and fouls? Uh, balls and strikes, pardon me. What's, what's in play? You know, like, uh, um, <laughs> that guy must really be an athlete. He knows his baseball terms. Um, what's in play and what's out of play and who gets to call? Who gets to call the shots? You see, this is the struggle with superhuman intelligence is that if someone's trying to figure out, well, what's, What's pure and right and righteous and what's going to be used for the destruction of the weak? The beauty about Jesus' messianic, brilliant wisdom that causes the shadows to disperse is that the one with all the facts and the perfect discernment and the right application of those facts is also righteous to the core. He has his eye on the poor and the needy and he says, I will use all of this wisdom to benefit and bless humanity, not to wound it. You see, it's ethically pure wisdom, and lastly, it's embodied wisdom. It's spirit-fueled and wraparound and ethically pure and embodied. If you look back at verses one through five, I won't read it all to you again, but it's on the screen, and what's highlighted for you is all the places where he, him, and his show up. Do you see it? Do you see it? The spirit rests upon him, the delight shall be in the fear, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Do you see the emphasis from Isaiah is on the person, on the reality that God in giving us wisdom to navigate the confusion of the world didn't send a golden tablet that fell out of the sky and landed. He didn't send really precise, polished language that was so perfect and complete that gave us all the principles for life. He sent us a person. A person incidentally in a manger that needed a diaper change. Like, we're talking about so human and lowly and gritty because what he was saying is, I'm going to send you wisdom that is visceral, tangible. You're gonna see it and hear it and understand how it operates in the world. God is so committed to being relationally connected to you that he was, being, he was willing to be laid at a feeding trough. And then amazingly, he didn't stop there. His, his commitment to relational connection with you, to dispelling the shadows of the confusion and the chaos of your life, he said not just a manger, but a cross. That, that Jesus was swallowed by the, the shadows of confusion and chaos as the one who was wisdom was destroyed by the folly of mankind trying to handle everything by their own might. And then beautifully in his resurrection, he shredded the shadows of confusion and chaos from the inside out. Light burst forth in the Messiah. And we're awaiting the day when he comes again in all of his power. And while we wait, this is the invitation, friends. We are all navigating confusion and chaos in our lives and in the world. And the question is, how are we gonna discern the next step? How do we keep moving forward? As we become a people enthralled with Jesus, committed to every word that was recorded by those that were close to him, 
cherishing them as words that are distinct and different from all others that have been spoken. Like Isaiah and his family saying, to the testimony, to the word, don't start scrambling and trying to manage everything by your own might. Listen for his voice, welcome his spirit, trust him and him alone. He is the one with wraparound wisdom that speaks beyond, from beyond death with authority and says this is how you can navigate the world with freedom and fullness and joy. Walk with me. You see, when we walk by the divine and miraculous messianic wisdom, it dispels the shadows of gloom and confusion and chaos. This Advent season, we wanna to run to the manger. We wanna to run to the cross and the empty tomb. We wanna set our gaze on Jesus and say there's so much that we can't manage by our own might. But as we walk by your brilliant light, by messianic wisdom, you will dispel the darkness of our confusion and our chaos. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, who is like you? Whose life was like your life? Indestructible and eternal and pure and perfect. No one in the scope of human history. Whose words are like your words, Jesus? No one. Your words cut through the confusion and the darkness and the shadows, bringing light and life and hope and healing. We thank you for the way that the love and the grace that you pour out on your people, even like a family in Sydney, Australia, that connects with a little girl whose whole life feels like it's falling apart, that your grace continues to pour through your people, bringing hope and healing and clarity in the midst of confusion and chaos. Who is like you? No one is like you. Jesus, you're our hope and our hero. We bless you and thank you. We pray that we would worship you in this Advent season in ways that delight your heart. We thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. We praise you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.